Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. We here at the podcast are just as happy as you are that 2020 is in the rearview mirror. The studio was a ghost town for six months, and I'm happy to say we're filming multiple projects now. Along the way, we had to re-engineer our entire HVAC system to provide for the safety of our movie crews. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 2021 bringing us all a little more prosperity. We begin our second year of this podcast, and I'm as excited today as I was in the beginning. Thank you for listening in, and know that we definitely appreciate you being here with us. Three decades ago, Boston sports talk radio host Eddie Andelman gave a 20-year-old intern the name Steak after sampling a particularly fine one at a local steakhouse that he liked. The name stuck. And it works, given Steak's love for vittles. Shapiro is a larger-than-life Atlanta local and national personality with shows on the Food Network like Food Truck Face-Off and Best Ever. And he's, of course, famous in Atlanta for his show... Atlanta Eats. He's a frequent contributor to CNN, Fox News, Fox Business, and MSNBC. Changing his gigs has never been a problem, and Steak has never shied away from new creations. With two top-rated media companies under his belt, Shapiro's an extrovert with the heart of an entrepreneur. Ladies and gentlemen, Steak Shapiro. Hi, this is Ryan Millsap. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Steak Shapiro, an Atlanta legend. Steak, welcome to the program. How you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic. So good to see you. You too. This so what, what restaurants survived this pandemic? What restaurants survived? Oh, the uh, well, a lot of restaurants. So here's the story with restaurants, right? It's no different from um, regular business, regular, business, regular uh, folks. If you had a pre- existing condition right so the economy in atlanta is just on fire pre-covid right uh all-time unemployment numbers low restaurants are crushing all my buddies in hotel restaurant hospitality doing record numbers in 19 uh and even mediocre restaurants because you're out so much and people were so liquid they were doing okay right even though you're like eh it's okay well you know we're gonna eat the same place every night right so COVID hits, and if you had a pre-existing condition, you had, uh, you know, lousy bartenders or your food was mediocre or you just didn't run a tight ship, you're probably in trouble. You probably have a chance to be out of business, just like some dude with diabetes who's 200 pounds overweight is probably screwed, right? And I mean that not to be callous. So it weeded out mediocrity. It sucks. A lot of local restaurants. And, and by the way, there's plenty of great restaurants that are struggling as well. But for the most part, if you ran a great restaurant, if you're a great restaurant group, if you had a great following, if you're in a neighborhood, they supported you. If you're bigger restaurant brands, you pivoted to take out and carry out. I mean, there's pain points. Uh, can we say shitty on this thing? You can say anything you want. So if you're a shitty restaurant or a mediocre restaurant, you're bye-bye. It's probably over. Um, and, and that's part of, you know, weeding out who ran their business well 
and who didn't. Just like now, who was smart about the new world we live in? Restaurants were no different. And it's fascinating to see what restaurants did, really, you know, in, tri- in terms of, you know, uh, making, you know, uh, trying to get back to that alcohol sales, you know, uh, sending people home with bottles of wine, making beautiful margaritas, uh, standing out on the corner, you know, uh, uh, pivoting. Just, you know, restaurant tours are grinders, right? Have to. If you want to be like a, um, you know, super successful, if you want to be like a, a, a rich, you know, you, you start a hedge fund and you do what you do. You build these nice studios, right? <laughs> but I mean, that's not what you don't. I want to you know, be in a restaurant because I want to make millions of dollars. No, nah. it's like. A, it's now, unless like it's a, Chick-fil-A. Right. Well, yeah. Right. And they didn't start there thinking that way, right? So guys and women, that's why we love telling stories about restaurants because everybody's got a story, right? Well, you know what they say about most restaurants. It's like owning a racehorse or owning a boat, that the the best way to become rich owning a restaurant is to start out super rich. Right. Because you're going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, I don't know if the nine out of ten restaurants fail is bullshit or not, but it's a grind, man. And, and, and you know, there's the problem is most guys aren't business guys that start restaurants, right? They're just chefs or they just... You know, someone's been telling them for years, you got this great recipe, or they just have these romantic visions. And then you start dealing with labor and food costs and customers and, you know, people who come in hammered and like, you know, so-and-so's uh, banging the, uh, the the chef and the GM. And I mean, it's a friggin' nightmare. <laughs> I think that all those all those vices are repeated over and over yes. in every restaurant. Well, I mean, it, look, it's changed. So I wasn't in the business. I'm just a good eater. I got on the Food Network. I was the only guy on the Food Network that had never been a chef, right? It says, how'd you end up there? I was like, I'm a really good diner. Like, I dine how, well. How do you eat as much as you do and stay skinny? Well, I don't say I don't know about skinny, but smaller portions. <laughs> I punish myself, right? Um, if you see me on Instagram, when I eat pasta, it's just that my guilt, my Jewish guilt takes over. I've had, I've had too many carbs this week. I got to go run around Chastain Park five times. Except I make it like once, but anyway, you uh, don't do it like you don't do it like wine tasting where you eat the pasta, swish it around in your mouth, and spit it out. <laughs> I know guy. So David Pollock, who is a big ESPN, they co- played at Georgia, right? Uh, he played at Georgia. He's a college football analyst. He worked for me in radio. His first media job. He worked for me from a station I own, Seven Ninety The Zone. And the guy's in impeccable shape. Right? He used to be a pudgy kind of when he played uh, high school and college, and. And then he got on TV. He's TV thin, right? This crazy son of a bitch literally used to take a bite of chocolate or pasta, just wanted the flavors in his mouth, and then he would spit it out. That sounds like a New York model. Right. It's like... (laughs) Well, you would know. <laughs> you would know, my friend. Not that uh, you know, I don't know. We're not. Are we talking about the fact you're we getting? Can, yeah, getting I'm, engaged I'm engaged. And, I'm getting married. Wow, in May. you are just a romantic, right? Wow. I've been looking at your photo shoots lately. I mean, this guy is a renaissance man. <laughs> that town and country uh, photo shoot. You got the. You have, you have a bathtub outside at your country estate. Is I that did. what's put, going on? I put two bathtubs out in the field. Jeez. That's when you know it's new love, right? <laughs> when you're naked in a bathtub out in a farm, right? You know? It's like Eden. Yeah. So, but you're happy, right? I'm so happy. You look so chill, yeah, right? I know. She's, I mean, well, she's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Now, she's very, very lucky because she has an incredibly good metabolism because she eats whatever she wants. Serious. It's, un, it's and not drinks fair. drinks whatever she drinks wants. Drinks whatever she wants. Eats whatever See, she that's wants. That's like the perfect woman. Yeah. Like, you can eat with her. 
That's right. The downside, not that we care for. Well, and she makes most of the food. You know, she's an incredible. Oh, dude, chef. she's she's. I see her. Uh, should we give her a plug to her uh, Instagram account? Have we done that before? Yeah. What do what was it? Vibe with Brit. Is that vibe what it is? Vibe with Brit. You're wow. right. Wow. Yeah. yeah at vibe this. with Brit. At vibe with Brit. She's making these ridiculously awesome like meals like uh curating and then she's out in her bathtub she's got her feet up and she's got the wine and i'm sitting here with my three freaking kids doing carpool just trying to survive the goddamn pandemic <laughs> and this son of a bitch is sitting out there in a freaking bathtub with a model and it's like what the fuck is going on here right well you know it's hard for uh extroverts to understand how wonderful all of this pandemic has been in many ways for the introverts right I mean, yeah, we just no doubt. retreat to a farm and run baths You'd and read be books. Surprised. I mean, people say like, um, well, you're on the radio, you're on TV and you got to be missing people. I, I can do me like five straight days and Netflix and cooking at home and being with the kids. And like when it gets, you know, Georgia doesn't have a lot of it, but when it gets rainy and cold and a little snowy, that's just that's awesome. Like light the fire. Like, you know, uh, all nestle up together. There's nothing better than a room full of a house full of kids and a dog. Right. And I know you see I see your girls out there, but I'm pretty sure you feel the same way when it's your own little team. And it's like we're locked down today, baby. It's amazing. Here's the menu. We're having chili for lunch. We'll probably make some big old roast for dinner. Right. Yeah. Like my daughter's in the baking business. I'm my 13 year old. So she's going to start making cookies. And like then dad starts figuring out what can we watch all together. Nine, 13 and 15 year olds. So. I'm all about not going it's anywhere. The, it's the modern equivalent of 40 acres and a mule. Right. Right. It's just you and the fam out there trying to survive, make something for yourself in America. Yeah. Some people have better places to survive than others. Wink, wink, buddy, <laughs> over there. But uh, I am very happy for you and happy to be here at uh, at Black Hall, right, where things are rocking and rolling. We are rocking and rolling. So you're testing like all the time. Uh, people like when they come to go on set, or what are the rules of making movies and all that stuff? Well, you know, I don't run all that. It's run by the Producers Guild. Yes, and they've done an incredible job. They they spent basically all of the lockdown, yeah, working with the other unions, the Screen Actors Guild, the Directors Guild, IATSE, uh, the Teamsters, and they had to come up with a protocol that all of those other unions would sign off on. So when I'm watching now, finally now coming out, if I'm watching. TV or watching movies. They're referring to the pandemic. There are episodes like on episodic TV where there where there are pandemic episodes. So they really started about what five months ago being able to, to get it get people in a sound studio, a sound stage or whatever it is. And yeah, really September one is when things started ripping again. People right. started dabbling in August and then September just the fuse was lit. So I know about folks in hospitality. What was it like in L.A. for all those people? And, and Atlanta. What did everybody do for those five months? Nothing. How much despair was there in the industry through all that? Well, you know, I think, I think in a similar way to what we saw all across the economic spectrum in the U.S., people that lived in economic strata where they had cash and where they weren't worried about their next meal or their house or their, you know, whatever, then those three months were kind of like a vacation. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, for listen, for a lot of folks, and, you know, um, 
and I will just say this, and I'm not going to get political at all, but I got, you know, buddies. So, so my wife is from Lafayette, right? So they're as red as it gets. Lafayette, Louisiana, get your gun, get ready to go, baby. My mom and my dad are from Brookline, Massachusetts. So if there's a more liberal place, maybe, you know, hate Ashbury or something. But I mean, you know, so I heard both ends of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say this. It's not hard for New Yorkers with a lot of money or people up in Boston to say, oh, Everybody shut down. Everybody stay in. Everybody. Well, yeah, because you you're not affected at all. You're just you know you just you're in the Hamptons for three months. Exactly. You know how many of my buddies pivoted to the Hamptons for nine months, right? But then there's like people on ground floor trying to make a living, like production assistants, like grip guys, like guys like that, right? Well, what I will say is that I was gonna talk about this industry. This industry's been ripping for years now. You know, in the post Netflix era of entertainment. If you are trained in entertainment, you can work as much as you want. So the industry has been starved for talent, but if you've been working in the industry, yeah. you've been working as much as you want, and you get paid great wages, right? right? So you're, it's all union wages, yeah. union scale. So yes. if you swing a hammer and you're building houses, you make 40, 50 grand a year. If you swing a hammer and you're building sets, you make 120 grand wow. a year. So... People were people just had to take a deep breath and wait for it all to come back, which it is. That's what and which and I think is. I think they everybody, I th- again most people took the first ninety days and believed it was going to be over. Yeah, and so it was this extended kind of yeah, like extended. moment of spiritual reflection, right? Yeah. And then it didn't end, and people started to freak out, and by sixty days of it not of it not ending, then everybody was like. We got to get back to work. We got to figure this out. And so, you know, thankfully there were producers who were working on all these protocols the whole time. So then when the time finally came where they said, I don't, yeah, is Georgia open? We're going to make films, right? right. I mean, that's right. basically what they said. Yeah. They said, we're not, we can't hang out in New York. We can't hang out in LA. It, yeah, you know, Kemp's kept Georgia open. We love it. We're and there. no indication that Georgia opening has spiked in in terms of because your sets are people. I mean, you don't know all the details, but they're testing frequently. It's like NBA teams. Yeah, it's like sports. It's like it's like oh, twice a week. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not telling you there aren't positives. Do you remember when it's very low though? You know, the entertainment industry. One of the reasons why it's also been able to, you know, it, it convinced California to make it an essential business. Right. I know. So that you you probably read those articles about restaurants being closed That's, and across the street the hands there's are up in the air like what the f is going on here? Why are the why, there's a guy right across the street barbecuing? You know, right. <laughs> feeding a, feeding a film crew. Craft the craft tables are open and they're feeding. And why can't I be open? So part why, of, but part of the reason was is that the film industry has now established by tracking all the data that their um, that their transmission rate is under one percent. Right. So not you know not just. Uh, one percent is 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 incredibly low in any industry, but in, for an industry where people are so close together in small spaces, to be able to keep that transmission rate so low has been Listen, really impressive. I, I got buddies up in New York and Boston, and some in LA that are that I was like, oh yeah, my kids are in school since September. My daughter had a full volleyball season. I went to every game with a mask in the stands, just the parents. That was great. They had maybe a couple of days where there was not one kid, like maybe six positives and they shut down, to you know, and a little bit of a, a spike. But like I tell my daughter driving her to school, you're the 99 percent, you're the one percenter. You, you're in school full time. You're playing your sports. Your season started and ended on time. Right. Like your life compared to 
Look around the rest of the country. Georgia has been pretty lucky. Well, my kids are in California, right? Right in LA, and so they haven't been in school for a year. And volleyball's been kind of hit or miss. They live on the LA County Orange County border, right? So everything south that's Orange County open, right? Everything that's north, LA County, yeah, buddies, kids play football or don't play football because that wasn't. So, how, what do you think the residual effect? on kids not going to school in person has been for them and kids in general? Well, I think they hate it, and I think it's it's really negative, particularly my oldest is 16, so she missed half of her freshman sure. year and half of her sophomore year you know, going, work from doing school from home. I think, though, this is going to be a generation similar to like a generation of kids who grew up in the Depression yeah. where food was so scarce, and the rest of their lives, like they were very thoughtful about food. Right. Right, either very grateful or very resourceful yeah. or whatever, but food was like a big deal mm-hmm. in their psychology. I think this generation of kids, I think all of the opportunities to uh, do things together in big groups and party, and you know whether it's little things like go to the theater or big things like go to concerts, they're going to see those as luxury items the right. rest of their life. I think, and so I think you're going to see those industries boom. Well, they were already more thoughtful. I mean, this this is a group much more thoughtful and purpose driven too. Of like, what can we do to be to contribute in whatever way it is, right? So the stuff I know that um, you know the stuff you hear about what's important, maybe more to twenty uh, year olds. Wasn't the shit that I was thinking about when I was in my twenties, right? So there's a thoughtfulness. Well, you um, were, you know, you were, you were in your twenties when uh, Michael Douglas was saying greed is good on Wall Street. Yeah, I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe a little younger than that at that time, but yeah, something like yeah. I, I was just like, you know, it was also an era where like, yeah, what's what's the purpose of this company? What's these CEOs' values? What's this like? I didn't. Who gave a shit about that? Like, dude, I just want to make enough money to be able to go with my buddies on the weekends. Right. And maybe I'll be at this gig for a while. I mean, I was in entertainment, but a lot, we didn't we didn't think that way. Now you better have a clear delineation of what your company stands for. Right. Which I think is a good thing, probably. Right. But folks are more focused on that. I mean, I think it's good and bad. I, you know, I'm a I'm a big proponent of legislating freedom and educating choice. Right. And some of this stuff feels pretty heavy handed. Yeah. You know, well, the, the cancel sense, culture for sure. Right. Like companies who now have to. I mean, their company's done great work forever, and now, if you want to look deep into any uh, actor, executive, CEO, you know, I mean, if you want to go deep enough on anyone, you can find something. What I found amazing, even in the sports world, like, so you draft a kid, plays three years at, I don't know, North Carolina, or, you know, sign him as a free agent. It's like, dude, did you see this post he had in Facebook when he was 12? Like, no shit. Like, when he was 12. Thank God you didn't have Facebook when you were 12. God, the debauchery of my life (laughs) growing up. But no, but I'm saying, like, uh, okay, so now even if you're reading something super unpleasant or harsh, like, why do we assume that a 12-year-old didn't all of a sudden see the light and be like, that was a really, you know, fucked up way of looking at the world? But they'll go back. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you won't go to 10. I would say that the cutoff, right? For something that you could say a twelve or thirteen could affect you in your twenties, do you say that's that that? I think in this culture, if you had Facebook posts when you were seven that were, I mean, I don't know what seven year old has freaky Facebook, right. but no, but, but if you think, did, like, but if you were like really racist when you, you were ra- seven, yeah, I think that would come back and haunt you in today's culture, it's right? Like, there, there's not a lot of space for the the, the psychological evolution right, of the evolution, a child right. into ad, ad, adolescence into adulthood if everything in your life is documented. 
like right. recorded history. Well, well, that's the whole thing. You can go back and try to find some. Now, in some cases, like listen, you have some crazy uh, bastards who you go back and you realize, oh, you could see this starting to develop at 12 or 13 or whatever. But my God, how about the ability for people to mature and learn and educate themselves so the same shit they thought when they were playing high school baseball isn't how they think now, right? But 90% of people aren't. aren't one would hope, unless you're exposed <laughs> to, you know, just awful stuff. But anyway, um, so it's great that you guys are open for business and making great films, right? We're so thankful. And, um, you know, the industry's exploded. Um, you know, certainly the impact of streaming is gargantuan. Yeah. If you look back pre Netflix making House of Cards, yep. the industry was doing about 40 billion a year of content. And let's take 2020 out because I don't think any of those numbers have come out and I don't know what they'll look like. But 2019 was over 80 billion. Right. Got to be. I mean, and just adding more and more. So we have three shows that are in development, right? Development deals that we have. And we, we're just going right down the gamut, like Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus. Now there's uh, HBO Max, right? So they're food shows, right? So I'm in the food and sports space. Mm -hmm. You know, we're working on something uh, with Big Boy from Outcast called Big Boy's Gotta Eat, right? So that's a uh, great title. Yeah, it's a good title, right? So he's way into seafood, right? And uh, he does, he's a doesn't eat meat. And he grew up in Charleston. So you got this big black guy who's a you know one of the great rappers of all time, one of the great hip hop groups, and he's way into food. Got deeper into it in the pandemic. Does he own one of those restaurants? Like in he doesn't. No. He does not own one of them. But but he's never been asked to do a food show. So we're like, you know, what do they tell me out in L.A.? It's all about the EP, right? Who's the guy that's going to attach himself to the project? So we're going to travel, um, you know, to Charleston and to New Orleans and to you know uh, anywhere there's fresh seafood. And it's kind of a combination of dirty jobs, meats, diners, drives, and he's going to like do the job, crabbing, oystering, whatever it is. So, you know, kind of a fish out of water thing. This this you know black guy from you know living in Atlanta, who's a you know huge music artist, is now getting into that, and then we'll cook the food after, right? So we developed the deal during the pandemic because guess what, Big Boy was was available for Zoom calls because he's like, I ain't doing shit right now. I'll talk about you know a food show. Same thing with um, a couple of other guys we're working on. But anyway, my point is, so we got him to sign this deal, and now it's not like we have only one place it could land, like Food Network. Do you know anybody at the Food Network? It's like, shit, I don't know. It's like, no, you got like 12 different places. I'd probably hit you up after this. But like the reality is there's so many, and they're all in a race for content, right? It's this beautiful race. There's not race, enough to watch. Right, and they're all competing, right? Look how HBO Max has come on lately. I was trying to think about what I want to watch. I think Denzel's got a movie that launched on Max, right? And then um, I think they got that show, The Flight Attendant. Have you seen that? I heard no. about it. Good. But that, it's supposed to be great, but you got to get HBO Max. And I was like, oh, let me add another one. You know? I have all of them. You have all of them, right. Well, you have to. <laughs> it's, yeah. They probably filmed half of them freaking across <laughs> the street here. So so we're doing a deal with that. But like during the pandemic, our mindset, we, we were on a um, – you know, a content studio. We started with Atlanta Eats and now we're doing all this national stuff. It's like, just assume that everybody is reachable and at home. It almost leveled the playing field, no matter how famous or how rich or how uh, much you're out of touch with it. Like, your ass is at home and your ass is watching, what was it at first? Tiger, Tiger King was the first one, right? 
Didn't matter. Everybody yeah, was first on First pandemic right. blockbuster. So everybody's doing the same shit. They're making food at home. They're hanging with their family. You know, people have been touring for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, film sets for all these years. It's like, bro, you got to find a you're a billionaire home. and then you were on a yacht. But, that, you know, early, Still in San early on, there were only a few really obnoxious assholes taking pictures of themselves on yachts. Who was was it? Katzenberg? <laughs> no, it was not. Uh, it, was, was uh, it? it was a guy that it was, was it was it was, it was the other who was uh, with Katzenberg at DreamWorks. Uh, um, so it's Spielberg, mm-hmm. Katzenberg, the third and one. Who's the third? The guy? third one was somebody, the one. Somebody's got to research that. <laughs> uh, we'll figure that out, right? So he was the guy that was like, you know. The world's in an amazing pandemic, and he put like an Instagram photo up of like this most ridiculous view from his yacht. Yeah, and it's suffering like, in the to pandemic. Be, yeah, way, way to be way to be in touch with the uh, social distancing. But for the most part, it was you know Us Weekly does that. They're just like us, and it's all a bunch of bullshit just because someone went to Whole Foods and they didn't do their hair right. Oh my God, look, it's uh, Amy Adams. And she's at a park. It's amazing. Like, okay, she's at a park when she's not, you know, traveling around the globe. But in this case. No, but th- th- there is some truth in that. In L.A., all I these girls seen. have no makeup. They don't do their hair. They're in Lululemon. And L.A. parks look like Buckhead. It's just famous right. people. And and if you go to Soul Cycle, you're going to see a, a people that you're seeing. 100%. As, you're right, because that's the industry. That's the industry. That is the, just like in Atlanta, I think you just had T.I. on. You know how many times I've run into T.I. at restaurants? All so, the time. Yeah. So um, so nice that is work. true. David What's, Geffen. David How do we not come up with David you. Geffen's name? So David Geffen was the asshole on the on the yacht, right? <laughs> Who's the guy that failed with the uh, with the short little uh, you know under ten minute films? Was that Katzenberger? No, no, that was Katzenberg. Right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, for uh, well, uh, that was called so, Quibi. Nice. Yeah. So now we've we've uh, I can't get deals done with either one of those guys because I disparaged both of them. Right, I was so, you're, so close. You're only you're only your only so hope close. of the triumvirate triumvirate of uh, DreamWorks is Spielberg. So well, thank God he still got him on I was speed say, I have nothing bad to say about him. Yeah, he'll still he'll still take my calls. Said uh, said still Spielberg never. Right. <laughs> one um, of my one of my buddies is very successful producer. And he um, he got COVID, and he actually, and he's in his mid fifties, and he was in a coma for eighteen days. Stop it! Yeah, he's totally fine now, totally fine. But in the, he was early early spring, early COVID, induced coma, eighteen days. Everybody thought he was going to die. He came out. He's like, I didn't even know the difference. It was like a long nap. My family, like, obviously had been freaking out. But he goes, the craziest part was, everyone in Hollywood who I've known over the years that I haven't heard from in decades. All called me. Right. All I had to do is almost die to get a call from Spielberg. <laughs> he said, "Right, listen. I wish I got that call uh, like next week." He I was so a, thankful, I but I thought it was a funny so, story. So, was he? Did he have pre-existing conditions? No, no, he's totally healthy. So, shit. I hate stories like that. So, have you had it? No. That's a. It's a roulette I'm, wheel. I'm 54. How old are you? 46. Okay. So, everybody looks at me. I'm going to knock on wood. It's like, hold on a second, steak. How the fuck do you not have it, right? You're in restaurants, your company's open, you know, uh, I'm kind of around a lot, you know, I got three kids, one of my kids got it, they're all in school, you know, I'm not saying I'm an, I'm an asshole, I wear a mask and I have no problem, I don't sort of make a political statement about it, like I can't wear, a, of course I'll wear a friggin' mask, but I'm not, you know, but my not brother, when you're eating. Not when I'm eating, and I, listen, there are plenty of places where, you know, we're relaxing, my point is, you know, everybody around me has gotten it over the last two months. I knew maybe good friends, 30 people the first eight months. I know 50 people in the last five weeks, right? So 
and and ninety nine percent said it was like a cold. And I'm not making any statement other than that's what nine. But then I hear your one that outlier outlier scares the shit out of me. And that's why the world shut down. It's they the outlier. Bring me, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people dying that were not pre existing conditions. Now you know I'm not a doctor, but the, my guess would be that the flu has every year has similar outliers where somebody who is healthy yeah. gets the flu and but, dies but not at these numbers i mean now the numbers are getting into the you know 400 something thousand i don't know listen i have doctors will say i literally have doctors good schools both successful i'll talk to one doctor because i can say this when my kid got covid it was nine and i forget about my kid but I, here's what i talked to one doctor say listen it's the flu. It's not that much worse. We never should have shut down. It should have been herd immunity. Like, you should have just let it happen. I'll talk to another doctor who'll be like, this is, this is so friggin' serious. This is a fucking shit show. And you know what? We should be doing everything and then some because people are dying. And don't, don't you dare say it's like the flu because the flu didn't do A, B, and C. Right? So, again, I lean towards, you know, being cautious. My mom's 82 as of yesterday. And she's like, uh, and she's in unbelievable shape, walks five miles a day. But she's like, I'm not doing anything until somebody tells me I can come out, you know. And then there are other 80-year-olds who are like, you know, uh, I need to be with my family. And and they'll roll the dice. Oh, they get it. I mean, you've heard of 80-year-olds who are like, my dad was hospitalized for four days. He's totally fine. It's like, so, I, you know, uh, I don't know what to believe. I try to be smart about it. But I feel like we're in February. I mean, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers. Let me get to the finish line here, right? Well, George is open. So are you I, surprised that you haven't gotten it? No, I don't even really even think about it. You don't even think about. It. I don't even think Is about anybody it. close to you got well, it. Well, and uh, no, no. I mean, my buddy, you know, my buddy who was really sick. I didn't, but I didn't even know he was really sick because he lives in L.A. So he he told me this story like six Jesus. weeks after he was out of the hospital. I said, "You almost died six weeks ago." Crazy. Like what? You know, but he, he, how would he know? How would he, he's in a coma. He can't call right. me. So when you're sitting there in your bathtub. Um, out in the middle of the farm, you're not thinking about COVID because nobody's near it's you. Nobody near nobody's me. Nobody's near you. It's the greatest. So here's the most important question because we do want to be sensitive, right, to people. Are you going to have a bachelor party? I mean, is there, or a second match? <laughs> you know, sorry, I have, I have, I, I, no, no, I, you know, I have had at least 15 friends offer to throw me a bachelor party. <laughs> Can I be the 16th? I, you Can know, I, be, I, 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 I just can't imagine. See, we know way too much about life, right, and the world. The kind of bachelor parties we would throw today, we'd all get COVID, die. Right. No. <laughs> so the rule is second marriage. Is a second marriage. Second marriage. And you're in your 40s. Yeah, you know. But it's first it's, marriage for her. It's a big wedding. This I, is. It'll no, be. A, this will be a you know a real big, sexy, awesome, fun, beautiful wedding. wedding I'm yeah. not talking about. Let's go back to the bachelor. Yeah, party bachelor thing. side. Yeah. You did you have a bachelor party for your first wedding? Yeah. Where did you go? Oh, I was just in California, LA. Right, it was, so it was, it was actually pretty. It was one night. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a bunch. No, right? it wasn't like a. So I've been married twice. First one, <laughs> first was, one. was Montreal, <laughs> which was. Do you know much about Montreal? It may, the good it thing may, is my was first party. Wife, was it summer? Uh, it was, yeah, mid to late summer. And, you know, it's just. That's a crazy ass town. It's kind of a d filthy town. And I mean that in a nice. Filthy, like, it's in terms of strip clubs and stuff. Yeah. But, like, beautiful town. Mm -hmm. But my first wife knew nothing about, like, Montreal. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I was like, I know. Isn't it lovely. <laughs> what are, it's going international. Like, but everyone else is like, oh, of course oh, you're Montreal. going to Montreal. Right? Oh, we get it. Well, that's like, I had some buddies uh, who were in a, like, a business group. 
And they one year decided they were going to take this international trip. And the first year they went to Cuba. And the second year they went to Czechoslovakia. Oh. And I said, listen, if the third year you guys go to Thailand, the gig is up. Everyone knows what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, Eastern <laughs> European is always a, a creative place to decide we're going to go check out Czechoslovakia, right? So, and then my second bachelor party, I think we did because I had a bunch of clients. And I think we went to the uh, Beau Rivage in Biloxi, Mississippi, which is, yeah. What's that? What's that? <laughs> Casinos? Yeah, it's a casino. It's a casino. And it's like a 40-minute... Uh, Outside of Memphis? Uh, yeah, it's it's near New Orleans. And it and I knew the owners. We did business with them when I owned... So I was like, I will just go to Biloxi for the weekend, right? Now, there's not going to be a third one, I hope. You know Kimberly, so hopefully she's going <laughs> to hang in there. Um, but I can understand how you're not really going to do a full-fledged deal, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we have a night out in Atlanta. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that lasts that's for two days. We that, <laughs> well, we the thing is, the- what people don't know is that Atlanta, actually, a night out in Atlanta is like a bachelor party. No I doubt. mean, this town... Dude, this town is just... You can get after it. So I'm going to tell my wife, I'm going to Ryan's bachelor party i was it's, gonna go to montreal but you ruined it yeah, for me. <laughs> don't say you're gonna go to the dominican don't even try that but i'm gonna say i'm going to meet ryan it's kind of a pseudo bachelor party we're going to chops i'll be it's it's uh thursday night no no, no. we're uh, gonna go on a hunting weekend oh hunting weekend. that we come back to the city for dinner okay and then i was gonna say though i'll see you on sunday though and yeah. she'll be like i thought it was one night it's like well the regis is next door and you know it's we got to go to Umi. I promise me I promise you we will quit when we have to sleep. So are you going to be able to teach a Jewish kid from Newton, Massachusetts who's never really held a gun how to get after it? 100%. Because you must have buddies like me like you know who just don't don't I have California buddies who've never say. shot a gun. Right. Yeah. So you can help me with that. 100%. And will I have a ton of fun? Oh yeah. You, right. You're gonna you're 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 gonna have a smile from ear to ear. Right. You're gonna think, why haven't I why been have I why not? have I not been shooting AR-15s my whole life? Right. Why have I not been shooting nine so millimeters? Did, why have I not been shooting shotguns? This is insane. Did like, you grow up out. with it? I grew up with I grew up with all that stuff. My dad was a uh, special forces recon marine in Vietnam. Jeez, Louise. And so we had weaponry everywhere, and he you know we were he grew up very comfortable with weapons. He had loaded guns all over the house. So I grew up. A uh, Jewish kid in Boston. We had pastry everywhere where we grew up. We had, <laughs> we had bagels. We had a good nosh. Like we had. Who, here's something you never heard out of a Jewish household. We had weaponry everywhere. Right? <laughs> what the hell did you just say? Oh my god! My just my dad. My dad's seventy two. <laughs> My dad's 72. He was recently visiting us here in Georgia, and maybe the third night he came to me. He and he said, "Do you have any extra handguns?" And I said, "Well, yeah, sure. Why?" He goes, "I'm having trouble sleeping." He just wanted a handgun with him, you know, like just near him, just so it helps him sleep better. Stop it. I swear. When he got back from Vietnam for the first, I think it was 18 months, he literally slept with a loaded 9mm under his, under his so, he, uh, so pillow. what's happening there is that you just, you, you, that's the level of danger you're in over there that you just never feel comfortable? What, what's no, going it has on? nothing to do with it. Training with guns is no different than training in jujitsu. Right. Right, it's just something you learn. It's a skill you have. But why can't you sleep though? Because over there, like, that's well, for my dad, my dad just got accustomed, so accustomed to sleeping with weapons. Yeah. In when he was in Vietnam, and then over the years, he just always had weapons around, and it just like becomes part of just like what makes you comfortable. So, know. did you ever ask him about his training as a marine? What that yeah. was like? 
Yeah. I mean, well, he said, just, you know, back to... then the training wasn't like SEAL training. You well, know, I mean, right. there was a lot of like mediocre training that didn't prepare you for the stuff that you had to do. And that's why guys who had been on tours were so valuable because that was on, on the job training. Their experience. Is he just a badass, your dad? Yeah, he's a badass. He has, you know, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's a badass. I used to joke. Uh, my whole life I've joked. You know, I said, guys, you know, like imagine The Rock walked in right now and my dad was here and The Rock started to pick a fight with my dad. He's 72. You know, he's, he right. looks like harmless. And I would feel compelled to, to, tell war- to tell The Rock. Like, I know he looks like a right. you know, harmless. harmless guy, but so, we want The Rock to stay alive. Had you ever seen him really angry growing up? with somebody, Tons. Somebody fucked with him? Oh, yeah. My dad had a terrible temper. Oh, my God. Terrible That's temper. That's not good. No. He had, he, so you, did, so you, did you get scared? You saw things happen in front of you? Well, he's an intimidating guy. So he's, give me an example of someone growing up where somebody just messed with him that really didn't understand. That's not where you want to go. Or your dad lost his shit. Um, I, I saw my dad one time at a traffic light. Some guy yells at him. My dad gets out of the car, goes over, and smashes the guy's window. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Does he? Is he still like that? No. <laughs> he's grown up. I mean, he's he he actually. What's I'd say he like post, with, as a grandfather, he's fantastic. Right. Fanta- he he's the grandpa who takes my kids out fishing. Right. Takes my kids out and teaches them about how to clean the guns, not so, just like you know. What does he say about about the about that war? It was a shit war. I mean, you know, he 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 doesn't have a lot of positive things to say about it. I asked him one time. I said, "Hey, you want to go to Vietnam? Like, just go back and see." He goes, "Fuck that country." Right. Like, I never need to see that country again. Just think about every memory you have there is is horrible. It's ridiculous. We're fighting a war. Didn't make sense. I treated like shit when we came home. Being there was just you know. Uh, although people do say it's an amazing country to visit, but I can understand why he said, "Why would I want to go back?" There? Well, for him, I mean, you know, listen, he's got—he's a very, very high-functioning guy, but he has full-blown PTSD. He does full-blown, but it means there's different versions of what that what PTSD manifests as. He's very, very vigilant, right, about everything. What does that mean? That means he's thinking about all the details. He's thinking about all the risks. Like he, he tells stories about getting back from the war and going to college. And he'd be sitting in his classroom and he'd find himself daydreaming. And what he was daydreaming about was how he was going to make it from this class to the next class without having too much exposure to sniper fire. Right. So I've heard that military guys who are, who are fine, but they'll say, I don't walk in a movie theater and not know all the entrances. And I'm ready for, I mean, this day and age, maybe but it helps. I'm always going to assume that somebody is going to come through that door and I'm going to be ready to deal with that, right? That's Which, right. unfortunately, we've seen, whether it's churches or temples or movie theaters or, you know, concerts, right? Um, but that's the way guys train like that think, you know? Well, and if something like that, that ever happened, he's the kind of guy you'd want around for right. that. So I, when I'm sitting in temple, right, in the history of, you know, incidents, particularly as it's heightened on, on, you know, Jewish people and I'm there for high holidays and you're looking at, you know, Arthur Blank is in one pew and then, you know, Bernie Marcus is there and other like the, the elite, you know, uh, some of the elite folks of Atlanta. Jewish say, mafia. Yeah, the Jewish mafia. Right. Um, then then you say, well, this would be a good target. Like, you know, they're not. We probably don't even know the level of security that exists for that. Right. Arthur probably out. has five He's Mossad on. guys. Right, those are the right guys, around. though. Yeah. You talk about... Do you ever see the movie uh, Munich? Oh, yeah. How freaking good is that movie, dude? Is that not an awesome movie? Nails. Anything with Mossad is fucking entertaining. Well, well, you know, the, the, the hard part about movies like that yeah. is that the underbelly of human social life is pretty dark. Right. If you're in that space. 
if you're in the space where the, the, the darkness in between the boundaries of civilization right. that we call espionage. That's remember the, the scene where they have to blow up the guy, but then his daughter's there in the office and he's outside. I don't know if they, I think they do blow it up. So, you know, it's like, oh, here's what's supposed to happen is he's supposed to pick up the phone and blow and he gets killed because he was tied to the, you know, terrorism in Munich. But then it's like, well, he's got a daughter and she wasn't supposed to be there, but she's there. It's kind of probably what you're talking about. Like there's different different rules. Like that's we have a mission to accomplish and you have to get yourself in a headspace that like we don't we don't even consider. Right. Well, yeah. think about all of the psychological testing they do. Right. To, figure to recruit who belongs in espionage. That's fascinating. That's fa- kind of like. You know the fictional versions of of uh, the Bourne movies or Damon and whatever. It's about what who is eligible for this type of training, right? Yeah, or, or who, even the Julia who, Roberts. Who could disappear from the Earth and nobody really noticed that we could train up, right? What was the Julia Roberts? Uh, was that the Netflix or the Amazon? It was one of the, the her series to see her series, which uh, was based on the military, of, of wiping guys' memories when they come back because they want to send them back out there because they were some of their best, you know... Um, Operators. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, it's a, I, think, I think it's a really important to reflect on those realities because none of our modern societies exist without those frontline people, right. right? The United States crumbles without espionage and a military. We don't, we're not sitting here on a podcast talking about food and sports and, you know, whatever right. else we want to bullshit the, about. Having the opportunity to exist the way we do, unless there's some serious badass motherfuckers out there that, that allowed us this. Just like, you know, why a lot of movies on the state of Israel is like, well, when you're surrounded on every border, 10 to 1 by your enemies, you better have some, you know, some serious, you know, ridiculous shit in terms of the folks that are ready to fight for you. Israel only gets to continue to exist as a country right. because of military. No doubt. So, I mean, that while that is a sad commentary on humanity, it's just the truth. No doubt. Right? And so... And you had to get to a point where now folks are coming to the table with them how many years later that are all like, we need to be friends with them because uh, the reality is they ain't going anywhere, right? If they thought they could wipe them out, then they, they would have tried. You know, they've tried, right? And now it's like, well... There's ten. There's a thousand reasons to be friends with Israel, right? There's uh-huh. there's a reason why you have to stand up right. and fight because that's the only way that somebody might eventually give you respect, right? And that's they're a great example of that. So, uh. so I'm you know that's where I'm I, I'm not sure where where modern society people people who imagine a modern society that doesn't value and invest in a strong military. That just doesn't make any it's sense. Just naive. It's very. And I understand it's a different generation, and I'm not going to poo-poo, you know, and and I'm not coming at this, you know. Listen, I'm more moderate than anybody. You know where I'm from, but that's just a naive way of looking at the world. Like the United States of America is sitting here for a reason. It's like I tell my kids all the time about uh, Veterans Day, whatever. I said, do you understand that without our World War II vets, that like the plan was to wipe out every Jew on the planet, like every Jew. You know, if they've, if, if Hitler got over here. It's no different than us sitting in our homes, in our nice, cushy little homes, nine years old. You'd be taken out of the house. We'd be put on some bus or train or somewhere. You would have been put somewhere. Now, again, it's a dark conversation to have over, you know, a veal chop at the house. But it's like 
Understand the United States military is the reason that we're all forget about the life we have. Like, you know, people making movies now about if Hitler got over to, you know, the U.S., the plan is pretty clear. He wasn't going to stop. Yeah, man, man in the High Castle. Right. The Amazon show. I, yeah. Uh, have you watched it? It's great. Is it? I haven't watched mm-hmm. it. I heard good things. And even the one about uh, that was on HBO, if uh, Charles Lindbergh had been ele- uh, had become president because he was a, 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 a huge anti-Semite and he wanted, to, he wanted to work with Hitler. That was the big thing was his undoing is when he started saying that shit. But anyway, if you don't have that um, military to basically, you know, win World War II, the plan is to kill every Jewish person on the planet and every gay and every, you know, whatever it is. Okay, so you you have a Jewish heritage that you look back and see your entire, entire ethnic people group would try to be wiped out yes. culturally, right? I mean, I guess ethnically and culturally. But did you ever learn a martial art? No, never did. You never, never touched a gun. And you never touched a gun. Right. Okay. So what is that? T- what is Only it? in America. Meaning, uh, if you grew up in Israel, well, of course, you would have learned. You're in the military. You would have learned Krav Maga. Every 18 year old, whatever you're going to do, you give your two years to the military, where you're learning all this. Stuff. You would have learned hand to hand combat. No doubt. You would have learned um, weaponry on every level, from handguns to rocket launchers, right? All and that all no been doubt. totally normalized because. You lived in a country that was so vulnerable and, and geographically. That, and you owe that to your country. There's a mindset of we don't have our freedoms without those who came before us. And it, it's it's and we all, it's not like 30 percent of us have to do that. One hundred percent of us have to uh, give a, uh, their, their service to the military. But so think about this. How amazing is it that one generation removed from World War II where. Hitler was trying to wipe out an entire people group right. of which you were a part. Yes. One generation later, you feel safe enough in America right. that you never learned a martial art and have never touched a gun. That's only because of the U.S. military. Right. Do you think this generation, or, or the, does it, do you th- see that and say we're soft? Like we're, well, I see that, we I see that and, and I say that we are disrespectful of what actually makes this country great. Of what happened before us. We, we are disrespectful of our forefathers who had the wisdom to look into the future and say, as long as the citizens, citizens are armed, right. then at least there's danger for somebody who tries to suppress them. Right. That's good. We want that tension. Yeah. And, and listen, um, that's right. The, the, the great, which again, we're a moderate lands, is let's be careful about who, how easy it is to get a gun. But I feel like most folks say the right to bear arms is not, I mean, I guess there's the whole liberal agenda too of, and young people who think it's crazy to have that. But, you know, it's, it's most people I would argue are closer to the middle than you think, right? And, and I don't know, the previous administration, Trump's view on that was different from Obama's, but nobody, nobody took their guns away. And I don't think they're going to take their guns away with Biden either. Do you get that sense? I think it'd be a very, that'd be a very, it's a nice political thing to throw out there. Like we're headed to socialism and every, and that, you know, that's the way that Republicans scared the shit out of everybody and all, and, and did a decent job. They should have won if Trump didn't fuck it up. Right. <laughs> so, you know, scare the shit out of people. You're not going to have your guns and you're going to have socialism and college is going to be paid for completely. All those loans are going to be forgiven when someone busted their ass to be able to do that. And the truth is, it'll fall just like people who you know were going crazy about what Trump was going to do to our country. For the most part, politically, you could say a lot of great things happened in terms of you know, um, and and you could hate him, and you could say also you hate Obama. 
But the reality was people lived a good life under Obama. They lived a pretty good life under Trump. Did they not? Absolutely. My rich yeah. friends who were freaking out about Biden, I just said, bro, how was your life with Obama? I was still really rich. Yeah. I did really well. <laughs> how was it under Trump? I was a little bit richer. I was like, maybe you'll be a little less rich under Biden. But, you know, people try to scare the shit out of each other. Nobody's coming to get anybody's guns, especially down in Georgia. Well, I mean, the the, the, the truth is, in many ways, the, rent, the rich are insulated. If you become too socialist, then right. the richer targets. Right. Right. So they're right to fear that. Um, it's really the, the middle class that, that suffers under change. Right. It just, it complicates their lives and, um, and, and they really need continuity the way that like wall street wants continuity. Um, because that's where their spending patterns are born. Their spending patterns are born from, uh, levels of certainty about what next year will look like. Would you argue that things are a little bit more calm, at least for right now? You see the Fox News and CNN Absolutely. numbers. The Fox News and CNN numbers have plummeted, right? You know, CNN numbers are are dead in the water. Be careful what you wish for, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't blame all of that on Trump. I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge Trump fan, right? But I think the guy gets maligned in ways that are Listen, inappropriate. I mean, we you know we've had plenty of narcissistic presidents. Right, the, the the entire world is largely run by narcissists, well, course, sociopaths, well, why would you want to be in megalomaniacs that, in that seat if you weren't right? Who who who? But what I would say is that, in you don't even have to blame it on Trump. The level of 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 vitriol, there's just there was something you know the simmering at all times. It was simmering at all times, and Twitter would help you know, kick it in and the liberals were so friggin' angry and then Trump was so angry and then just it's this constant so if nothing else, no news out of the White House, right? Well, there's been a lot of executive orders. Yes, I know. They've done a lot of things. But you know what I'm saying. There's just a little less simmering. I I agree, although, you know, the thing that I worry about is that a lot of the simmering may have been um liberal attempts to create chaos because chaos offers opportunity for change right right so um well you certainly can look at for the minute trump took office i mean it was it was no free ride there was no there was no there was free no ride. notion of let's come together mm -mm. right the, the the thing i get most concerned about is i think that that fundamentally it's not that complicated to be an american right there are the military is essential to be an american right right having freedoms is essential to being an american uh, we, we could go through a list, and probably in less than 10 items, we'd say, this is fundamentally what it means to be an American. And if we could just get back to a place where everybody agreed on those fundamental, like, Americanisms, right. then we could have all sorts of different versions of economies. So, so why why was it that, that we all can point to friendships that absolutely ended? Absolutely. I mean, it's not like there were not right-wing Republicans and liberal Democrats on the absolute separate sides forever to a point where, I mean, you know, probably more on the liberal side of, I can't look that fucking person in the eye. Did you see their post? Or I know they voted for, or they won't stop talking about. I mean, like, I mean, it's both sides, although, you know, the, I would just say being a moderate or whatever you want to call me, you know, if the liberals to say, the liberals are the ones that ended most friendships, Right. And and maybe 
you know, they had a right to look with total disdain at somebody that didn't call Donald Trump out for who he is. But like that whole notion of I can't even we've been friends for 30 years, 20 years. That's my mom and dad. I can't speak to them. I mean, that's a fucked up way of living for for that. last. That is a fucked up way of living. Right. There's no. Well, and I'm sure. Let's see. But see that ideology, which the, the people that are caught up in that. They believe all of the narratives. Right. So if you're a moderate, you don't believe the narratives. Right. Right. You listen to the left, you're oh, that's an interesting narrative. You listen to the right, oh, that's an interesting narrative. But you never believe any of right. those things like with conviction. Um Which is which is why I'd argue I mean, look at what horrible what happened at the Capitol, but th- but those people believed that they had a chance to do something, which is I'm not sure if they did I mean when I watch those videos guys running around in buffalo hats yeah like that was not well planned right, like, right. if they were trying to achieve something that's, well, that felt pretty but they believed that, that felt that pretty they, spontaneous no, no no but they believed that the election could be overturned like maybe not not by not i think by they believed the that Capitol. they might be able to run through the halls of the Capitol. i don't know you don't think that people come to washington thought that this this shit is real we can't achieve not not the no, different i i would say that the majority of the people so not the people who actually went into the yeah. Capitol, but the majority of people who were at that rally actually believe they might be able to have enough influence in their presence no different the, than no different than anybody marching on anything any other, right. right that they might have enough influence to get people to Go check the voting. If they thought the voting machines were fraudulent, that they could have enough influence that people might go check them but the, and, and document that and get the back to them. The data would suggest that there was no fucking chance that anything was going to get overturned. Like it had been in front of enough people. See, again, moderate. You don't believe the narratives. So right. they, I believe I, I believe right, that, that the people they, did. they yeah, did believe it. Right. Well, the, the people who were you know doing Black Lives Matter marches, they right. believe the narrative. Right, they were out there in the streets. So I, maybe they believed that reparation that they could be getting hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars. I, to, I think the very small percentage of the, like the leadership most, yeah. are idealists. I think there's a whole bunch of people who just like doing shit. Right. Right. So they're like, we're gonna do what? That sounds freaky. You know, whatever. Well, and I would so, say this, and I'm not saying for everybody that lives and breathes every Facebook post is political, but like, let me tell you what I don't have time for. I got. I got three kids, 15, 13, and nine. I'm trying to build out a company that I own. I've been on the radio for 25 years. I got, you know, a list that I don't get to every day. Of course, I pay attention to everything. But, like, on the priority list of, um, you know, how deep I was going to get into the Senate races, of course, it affects what's going to happen. I just have other shit going on that was a lot more important, you know? How's my 15-year-old doing? You know, how kind of father am I being? How do I try to be healthier, right? Like, those things affect my life every day. So for folks that were, I mean, you're talking about folks that are living and breathing every minute. Like, Fox News comes on, and I'm on there for six and a half hours, and it's just, it's seeping. And CNN's no different. You're looking at that ticker of deaths, right? And every single time you see Donald Trump, you're like, you get your blood pressure is through the fucking roof. And I would say to my mom, <laughs> I'd be like, turn off the TV. Yeah, like, you know, but the problem is she's not seeing her grandkids. Yeah, no, I, you know what I mean? Like, you're just, it's like, that's our human interaction. Yeah, my father in law lives with us for nine months. And I finally had to say, like, you can't watch Fox News. That's the rule. Like, I'm not, you know, just if you want to watch it, go down to where you're staying. But I don't want to see that. If go all, down into your hole where they came from. He's got, you know, he calls it the dungeon. It's the <laughs> nicest. I'd love to fucking live down there. Let me tell you. Because he says that to bust my chops. 
<laughs> I was like, bro, you got a beautiful guest room. You got an awesome kitchen. You got a, and he just to bust my balls. I'm going down the. You dungeon. got your own entrance down yes, there. Yeah, you have your own entrance. I mean, you could have some broad coming in. Nobody would know. <laughs> the grandkids would just hear something. They wouldn't know what it is. Anyway, but it's like, you know, like you, you got a lot going on. You're getting married, and we're not. Ha- so here's what we know: um, life is good in the country, right? Life is good in the country. You're going to teach me how to shoot guns. 100%. And I'm going to like it. You're going to love it. Right? Um, we are not having a bachelor party of any significance. Not? Maybe. No. Not, no. <laughs> but the wedding itself will be but we are going to take a. We're going to take a cultural trip to view the Canadians in Montreal. <laughs> we're going to learn. <laughs> yes, we're going to learn about other cultures. So when, when are we getting married? May 15th. Okay. So... I hope there's going to be an invite. Hundred percent. Right? I think I they go so. out in the next like three weeks. All right. I, I know I've been trying to wind down my list. We could sit and talk for hours yeah, like what was this. I supposed I lo- to talk I, about? Uh, there was no something. No, to be? no. But we'll do we'll do another one of these where um, then I'll I'll ask you more about like your background. And oh your, right. I was going to the say, psychological side, which was I was there love. something about like steak. Yeah. How did you get where you were? I yeah, mean, I know, of course. Like, this, 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 this was, was way fun. more fun. This was more fun, yeah. right? If if people want to follow you, is this catered? By the way, it is, is actually. Anything? Yeah, no, there's some food. Um, if uh, if if people want to find you on social media, yeah. So I'm at Steak Shapiro, S T E A K, and the I don't want to tell the story of how I got my name. Then we'll do that next time. Okay, but that is normally the first thing is like. How does somebody get named Steak that's in food and sports, right? So I thought you just had a great mother. Yeah, looked at me and said he's like a little fillet as he came out. Um, at Steak Shapiro or Atlanta Eats TV, we're the number one Instagram site in Atlanta for food, dining, which is a which is no small feat. Um, so uh, at Atlanta Eats TV as well. Steak, you're a legend. That Thanks was, for being on the show. That was so fun. Amazing. Where do I rank? How many guests have you had on the show? Uh, 40, 50. 40. Am, am I, I going to be 40, 50? Am I top? No, don't say. I mean, honestly, to top 5%. You're, you're, you're 100% top five personality. Yes. 100%. Uh-huh. You're 100% top five for willingness to allow the conversation to be random Anything. and diversified. Yeah. Like you're as you're as ADD as I am, which I I'll take it I'll I'll go with it. I love. So I'm thinking about starting one of these. That's what I want to see. Oh, because, you'd be amazing because I love to just talk to people. You'd be the greatest, anything, right? Yeah, you you'll, can do it here. You'll coach me. These through guys it. will produce you. Really? Yeah. You can talk about it. Easy. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks for being here. Good to see you. This is Ryan Millsap, and this has been the Black Hall Studios podcast. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. Black Hall Studios.